for you an assassin and a soldier. You're neither. You're an errand boy. Sent by grocery trucks. Collect the bill. I'm not through with my examination. Sit down. If I seem to be offensive, you may take it. I'm offended. You're offended. This is Speaking Out America. Join us online at speakingoutamerica.com. You paid the money. You paid four bucks? I'll keep it. It's my time now. I do a 450 show. Baby, so you may make a little bread off this tonight. I certainly hope so. Welcome, welcome to Speaking Out America. Jim Watkins here. You know, there is light at the end of the tunnel. Yep, there is. Um, I woke up today, first time in probably over a week, certainly over a week, where I felt like I was looking in the rearview mirror on COVID. You know what my first clue was? which is kind of weird, but my first clue was that I didn't have that weird sort of chemical smell in the upper echelons of my my nasal passages. I'm sorry to get so gross, but that's what it is, you know? And I realized, uh uh-oh, I think this thing has finally given up on trying to take over my body. I mean, there were a couple of days there, folks, where I thought the cytokine storm was just around the corner. And if you don't know what the cytokine storm is, a lot of people died because of it. See, the, the, big, the big mistake that they made early on, especially when the Delta strain, that was the first major pow strain, right? And what the doctors were doing, and Cuomo was guilty of this, he was sending people home. The doctors saying, don't come to the hospital. Don't overwhelm the system. We can't, we can't bring you in. You'll spread COVID everywhere. Go home, isolate for five days or 10 days or 21 days. And if you get really sick, Come back and we'll shove a couple of things up your nose and say a prayer. Intubation. But by that time, your lungs have filled up with so much mucus because it, and that's why they call it a cytokine storm because your, your body is producing cytokine, which is that muci, that filmy stuff. And it, it, it's, it's an agent. It's, it's fighting back against whatever it thinks is attacking it. And people would literally suffocate. And Dr. Peter McCulloch and some of the others were out there going, why are you sending these people home to die? Uh, And the only response was, well, we don't know what to do, but we don't want this thing to spread. And and anyway, so there was a period of about a day or two where I thought, you know, it takes about 21 days for the body to be completely overwhelmed by, you know, certain strains of COVID. Now, I never got to that point, and I'm still feeling a little congested, And in a minute, you'll understand why I'm telling you all this. Because it's important. Uh, It's because our our medical industry is not deity. They don't tell us the truth anyway. Most of what they do is a rim shot, close your eyes and throw the darts and hope for the best. Which is why all of these drugs that we take have so many damn side effects. Because they don't know what your body is going to react to when you shove something in it. They don't know. They can make a general assumption because we're all generally made of the same DNA and, and genome structure. But each individual reacts differently to different circumstances based on a whole host of things. But the one thing that we did all talk about in the early days was ivermectin. And ivermectin was... Oh, it was, remember Joe Rogan? Oh, it's a horse medicine. CNN, all these media dimwits were out there immediately disqualifying ivermectin. 
even though ivermectin is a very common antiviral that's used around the world, as is hydroxychloroquine. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, doctors lost their uh, livelihoods. They lost their careers. They faced jail time. Uh, in California, this is still the case. If a, You know, there are conversations I can't tell you I had with people who were ready to send me ivermectin, but they knew that if they got caught, you know, they might, they might lose their license. So how do you think it feels today when all of a sudden out of nowhere the FDA says, hey, if you want to prescribe ivermectin, go for it? From Zachary Steber via the Epic Times. Doctors are free to prescribe ivermectin to treat COVID-19. A lawyer representing the U.S. Food and Drug Administration said this week, quote, FDA explicitly recognizes that doctors do have the authority to prescribe ivermectin to treat COVID. Ashley Chung Honnold, a Department of Justice lawyer representing the FDA, said during oral arguments on August 8th in the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Fifth Circuit. Isn't that San Francisco? I think that is. Or that might be the Ninth Circuit. Oh, I think the Fifth Circuit is in New Orleans, isn't it? Anyway, read on. Read on. The government is defending the FDA's repeated exhortations to people to not take overmectin for COVID-19, including a post that said stop it. But the case was brought by three doctors who allege the FDA unlawfully interfered with their practice of medicine with the statements. A federal judge dismissed the case in 2022, prompting an appeal. The fundamental issue in the case is straightforward. After the FDA approves the human drug for sale, does it then have the authority to interfere with how that drug is used within the doctor-patient relationship? The answer is no. Jared Kelson, representing the doctors, told the appeals court. The FDA on August 21, 2021, wrote on X, formerly known as Twitter, you are not a horse, you are not a cow, seriously, y'all, stop it. That's what the Post said. I mean, that's what the FDA said. The Post, which linked to an FDA page that says people shouldn't use ivermectin to prevent or treat COVID, went viral. So the FDA puts out a message that says, you're not a horse, you're not a cow. In other statements, the FDA said that ivermectin isn't authorized or approved to treat COVID-19. And Q, should I take a ivermectin to prevent or treat COVID? No. Quote, FDA made these statements in response to multiple reports of consumers being hospitalized after self-medicating with ivermectin intended for horses, which is available for purchase over the counter without a need for a prescription. By the way, I have a box of... Every month I give my dog HeartGuard. You know what the chief ingredient is in HeartGuard? Ivermectin. It's over the counter. It's expensive, but it treats heartworm for animals. A, a version of the drug for animals is, a, is available, but Ivermectin is approved by the FDA for human use against diseases caused by parasites. Now, a little bit deeper, it says, when it said about no stop it, Circuit Judge Jennifer Walker... Elrod on the panel that is hearing the appeal asked, why isn't that a command? If you were in English class, they would say that was a command. Ms. Honold described the statement as merely quips. Can you answer the question, please? Is that a command? Stop it, Judge Elrod asked. In some contexts, those words could be construed as a command, Ms. Honold said. 
But in this context, where FDA was simply using these words in the context of a quippy tweet meant to share its informational article, those statements do not rise to the level of a command. The statements don't prohibit doctors from prescribing ivermectin to treat COVID or for any other purpose, Ms. Honold said. She noted that the FDA, along with the statements that people should consult their health care providers about COVID-19, then they could take the medicine if it was prescribed by a provider. And then here's the key. FDA, I'm quoting the circuit judge, FDA is clearly acknowledging that doctors have the authority to prescribe human ivermectin to treat COVID. So they are not interfering with the authority of the doctors to prescribe drugs or practice medicine. Now, why is this important? Think of how many people, again, went home. They had available treatment to them, but it was, it, it was being cut off. The FDA, which is the most powerful agency in America when it comes to food and drugs, issued on Twitter, we don't want you taking ivermectin. You take it, you run the risk of getting in deep, deep trouble if you're a doctor. And indeed, there were several people, several doctors who lost their licenses. And it still is looked upon as, but, um, you know, this is, the thing is, we all know, this is part of the problem. We all know what's behind the scenes. I mean, look, we learned early on that end user authorization was only applicable to the COVID vaccines if there were no other readily available therapies. And that was what the CDC and the NIH and the FDA were banking on. I mean, they all work for each other. I mean, you, you leave the FDA, you go to the CDC, you go to the CDC, and uh, you some, at some point on your resume, NIH appears. And they all work for each other. And so it became politically expedient to tell doctors not to use ivermectin. And now all that goes away. And that's pretty important because it, it well, for me, I feel vindicated. Early on, I was suggesting that ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine were both effective therapies. It was working in India. Now, you get into an argument with someone, oh, it wasn't working in it. Yes, it was. Africa, as a continent, experienced far less COVID deaths. And I thought that would be, oh, my God, all those highly populated, centralized area of people that are starving. And, and yet they had such a, an ample diet of these therapeutics available to them. And that's part and parcel why I, why I suspect that Omicron developed out of Botswana, a much milder strain because those people's immune systems were prepared to deal with COVID, unlike the people in the West and certainly people in China. So to me, it's about vindication. For seriously, I mean, it's just, you know, and again, it's a reminder that you, you know, you question the science because you question the scientist. You have to question the scientist. And every turn, uh, and I tell everybody I know around me, do not, every, every time you see a commercial on TV for a big pharma, question what they're trying to tell, to tell you. Don't let them get away with it. You know, if it was up to them, we'd all be on drugs of some kind. And we've had people on from various agencies who talk about, I mean, the streets of Los Angeles and New York and L.A. and Philadelphia and Seattle and Portland are filled with people who are being treated for mental illness. What does that tell you? Speaking out, America. Be right back. 
Hey, don't forget, you can always listen to the archives of this show on speakingoutamerica.com. It's free. Isn't that wonderful? Or you can join us at crntalk.com, 9 a to 10 a Monday through Friday, Pacific Time. And if you missed that, you can catch the replay at 5 p.m. Pacific. Same channel, crntalk.com. Thanks to Mike Horn and the team, Swade and Madison, all those folks behind the scenes who helped put this show together. This is Big Two. Tucker Carlson released a bombshell interview with former Capitol Police Chief Stephen Sund on Wednesday, during which Sund explained what happened on January 6th. Carlson and Sun had notably recorded an entire interview for Fox News, which never aired. That's right. Perhaps most damning is Sun's claim that the then House Speaker Nancy Pelosi refused to authorize the deployment of the National Guard at the Capitol despite Sun's pleas, and that the federal agencies withheld information and warning signs of potential dangers prior to the riot. But she did have time to call her niece, who's a photographer, and all of the folks over there at ABC and say, come on, bring your cameras. It doesn't seem like people really wanted to get to the bottom of it, said Sund, adding, it really doesn't, and it just gets worse. It gets worse from there. Quote, Sund got approval to bring in the National Guard at 2.09 p.m. Before his approval, he alleged that he begged several generals, including General Michael Flynn, to bring the National Guard. The officials told Sund they did not like the optics of the National Guard, and he allegedly begged for their assistance to intervene on the violence, according to Daily Caller. It sounds like a setup to me, Carlson said, adding, I'm sorry, it, it does. To which Sund replied, it gets better. So I beg and I beg, and he goes, well, I'm going to walk down the hall, and we'll talk to the Secretary of Defense or whoever he's going to talk to. Right then I get a notification. Oh, I'm still on the call. We have the shooting of Ashley Babbitt. And I said, we have shots firing. I still remember yelling over the phone, we have shots firing on the U.S. Capitol. Is that urgent enough for you now? According to Sun, the National Guard didn't show up until 6 p.m., four hours later, after the fatal shooting of Abbott. He also claimed that the Pentagon deployed resources to the homes of the generals, but not to the Capitol. But there you go. I mean, we've known, as many of us have known that all along. It's, it's a charade. Much of it is charade, unfortunately. Uh, it's it's our weakest, our weakest hour, our weakest link. It's the the chain that can become so frayed that eventually the fabric of our republic uh, will simply, you know, be torn asunder, as they say. So this guy in uh, Provo, Utah, you know, six fifteen a.m. I almost wonder if he did that by suicide. You know, the thought had occurred to me. I wonder who, you know, somebody, uh, the report was that Trump, uh, social media, true social, Devin uh, Nunes, who runs that, uh, they tipped off the FBI to the threat uh, against Alvin Bragg. There were numerous threats that the man made, the 75-year-old man made on social media, particularly Facebook, probably Instagram, too, look like. And one of them was that he threatened that he was going to kill Alvin Bragg, the DA in New York. And that was tipped over to the FBI from True Social. Isn't that something? Huh. Anyway, uh, there's a lot of speculation about why this guy was seen as a terrific threat. His neighbors said that he was obese, he was caring for a disabled son, uh, they never thought of him as being particularly angry or violent. 
but he was doing these things online and I'm sure there were people that were going, you know, I mean, he was uh, using some pretty strong language and, you know, uh, my mama always said, you know, be careful what you say. You know, you don't want to, you don't want to come across as being that kind of, you know, off your rocker, Ted Bundy or whatever that guy, Ted Kaczynski. You know, and I think he just let the anger get to him. I mean, it's easy because every time you see these buffoons, I mean, you know, I'm watching uh, Biden walking around like he's the new King Kamehameha. The way the the press is making it look like he's just the the king. Oh, I'm showing up today and I, I promise you we will put things right in Maui. We are going to open up all... Uh, uh, it's like he walks in after the disaster and says, we're going to save you. I bet you anything that there are probably some stupid environmental rules that prevented Mauians from cutting back some of that brush that might just erupt in a flame. I bet you the native indigenous tribes of, of the Hawaiian Islands probably knew about these occasional fires that would get out of control from winds. I mean, you know, it, it, the wind blows all the time in Maui. When does it not blow? Every night, every day. Trade winds. It, you know, now they're making it its climate change and all this ridiculous. Speaking of which, we'll get to that. I was going to talk about it earlier, but, you know, but some, some scientists have come out with, they're concerned that the climate crisis crowd is getting a little bit too uppity. And what they're doing is that they're just getting everybody nervous. And now we've got Biden, who's about ready to sign an executive order that, that says the climate crisis is an emergency and that now we have to operate as if we're under some sort of martial law because it's too hot. I mean, this this guy thinks he can control everything. He thinks that he's going to control the temperature of the earth. You know? I mean, he's got it in his head. Biden has it in his head. Everybody's telling him, you can do this. You can spend $360 billion on carbon credits, and you can reduce the number of carbon. Meanwhile, you've got a group of about 10,000 scientists who will tell you, show me how carbon drives up the heat. Carbon represents 0.04% of the total atmosphere. There are far more other things that have much more greater effect on the heat or the lack thereof. Water vapor being one of them. The ocean being the other. You know, some, some scientists have made the point during the lockdown, the carbon still rising. Even though most of the world was in lockdown mode, why was carbon still rising? Other, other climatologists will argue that carbon is the most precious and life-giving element on the planet. But you don't hear from them because the people over at NewsGuard don't think that you should know that. NewsGuard being the entity now, a consortium of very well-funded uh, advertising organizations, NGOs, government agencies, who all are a non-elected group of people who decide what is the narrative that you should hear. And they will not let you hear the narrative that says that the climate is not in crisis. And that's why Joe Biden is allowed to go out there and do what he does. And he can draw up all kinds of regulations that will end up costing you and me more at the pump. I feel sorry for people who live in in, uh, in 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 Victorville, and they're going to be paying seven, eight dollars a gallon for a gallon of gas soon, and it takes a little bit of time to get around in the high desert of Southern California. Everything is about a hundred miles away. You're doing a lot of driving in California, 
It's one of the, th the reasons I don't like it. It's because it takes to, so damn long to get somewhere. I mean, even a, just a little jump from Santa Barbara to Ventura takes 45 minutes if there's no traffic. You know, there's something about a small town where you can get places, you know. So it's not hard to see why a person like the man in Provo was so pissed. Because he looks around and he sees, he sees who's in charge. I mean, really. And that's, a, that's enough to anger anybody. Anyway, so we're going to be back. Michael Lee Mason's going to join us. You know, he's got some music that he sent me. I might play it. We'll see. We'll see. Hang on there. Then we're going to get some stuff from the Internet today, some fun stuff, some more great comedy as we continue speaking out America. That's what it is. It's a great comedy. I'll tell you, anything that brings me to, you know, when things are a little bit more normal, give me great assurance. That, that's, a, that's a true statement. Like football, you know, NFL's coming back on. I'm trying to get into that other football league, but I'm just not there yet. I don't know. My feeling is that the players on that team, they know that they're not, it, it's like it's not going to get to the Super Bowl, so what's the point, you know? Uh, it's like AAA. In, in a way, it's kind of like AAA. Hey, all, and it's so sad to see these big stadiums, X, XFL, is that what it is? And you see like 20 people sitting there. The tickets probably cost them 1250 you know, it's probably only a couple of concession stands open. You have to walk all the way around the other stadium to get a, a beer that costs you twelve fifty. But there's nobody there. So if you're a real hardcore football fan, yeah, then yeah, you're into the XFL. But for me, nah, I'm a Puritan in that regard. So I am looking forward to what I hope will be another good year. It'll be interesting to see what happens to my my uh, team, the Bucks. Because guess who isn't there anymore? Tom Brady. It seems like a long time ago, doesn't it? But it was just last year that he played his last and uh, didn't get it. Get, didn't get as far as we thought he would. Anyway, so interesting PR campaign. Uh, if you are a Subway fan, nearly a thousand people uh, people offered to legally change their name to Subway in a bid for free sandwiches for life. Just days after announcing a promotion where someone who legally changes their name to Subway will receive free sandwiches for life from the chain of the same name, the response has been overwhelming. Nearly 10,000 people have already volunteered to legally change their name of Subway within 96 hours of the company's announcement of the promotion, according to a new report from, w, uh, from NBC. Subway's name change challenge was announced on July 26 and stated between August 1st on August 4th, Subway superfans and sandwich lovers can visit SubwayNameChange.com and enter to win free Subway Deli Heroes for life if they commit to legally changing their name. Subway will select one lucky winner to earn free sandwiches and assume an iconic new identity. And I'm sure every morning show in the country is getting a yuck out of this one. Uh, Subway has been using the promotion to get the word out about using freshly sliced meats in U.S. restaurants. The chain is also in the process of attempting to find a buyer <laughs> for up to $9 billion, but so far the chain, uh, uh, no, one's, no, one's, uh, <laughs> no one's buying. The chain has more than 37,000 restaurants in over 100 countries. Boy, you know who almost destroyed them? Jared, remember? Ooh. Boy, if that had happened now, Subway would be dead. 
You know, today it's much more if you get if you get out of line or you go in some direction you're not supposed to go, i.e. Dylan Mulvaney, yeah, the moral the moral the moral backbone of this country will strike you down. But I say shame is a very a uh, very powerful thing. You know, in China, shame is that's how they get their people to submit. And we we experienced that too. During the pandemic, a lot of people were shamed into taking the vaccine, they were shamed into wearing a mask, they were shamed in, you know, in all kinds of ways. It was a creepy thing to watch. It was like a a, a like a real life episode of of Twilight Zone. And you know, me, I don't really get too affected by how people view me, at least people that I don't know. Now, people that I love, you know, of course I care about how they look at me, but I usually am the one that says, let me explain to you what's really going on. You know, what you see is not always what you get. Uh, we were talking about COVID earlier and ivermectin. Now, if you haven't heard, the FDA has gotten off their moral high horse and said, oh yeah, you can, you can prescribe it if you want to. We won't, we won't harm you. You know, Rand Paul says that uh, Fauci sh- should face criminal charges. I agree. You know, he, uh, millions of, uh, the, when, when the left is done with their love fest with Dr. Fauci, they're going to peel back the onion. Truth has a way of, of, of rising to the surface. You can only suppress it for so many years. He may be dead by the time everybody feels out the criminal, uh, realizes the criminal that he was. And Bill Gates too. Both of those men. I mean, the truth is coming out that these men or men like them developed this vaccine specifically so that they could use it on the very, I hate, it's hard to even say. But all the evidence points to the fact that this was a completely manufactured and preventable crisis. But they let it roll because they said, you know, it's more important for us to be able to find an MRA antidote so that when the next big pandemic arises, we're ready. Well, you caused the first one. You know, let nature take its course in some ways. That's the way I look at it. I mean, you know, mankind has always had various outbreaks, the bubonic plagues, I mean, there were two major plagues of the uh, of the Middle Ages, and we survived them. Uh, albeit, a third of European population was decimated. Um, so, but at least it wasn't created in a lab like in the modern era. You know, so now there's a growing number of leprosy cases being reported after COVID nineteen vaccinations, including two cases in the United Kingdom that researchers said may have been caused by the vaccine. The researchers found records from the leprosy clinic of the Hospital of Tropical Diseases in London, and they found that of the 52 people who went into the clinic in 2021, 49 were vaccinated. The study definition of a leprosy adverse event associated with COVID-19 included developing leprosy or a leprosy reaction within 12 weeks of receiving, of receiving a dose and having, uh, with a person having no previous history of leprosy. We're starting to see, uh, I think I saw a report from the CDC that they're, they're starting to see leprosy in Florida. Two people met the case definition. One developed borderline tuberculoid leprosy. I didn't even know that tuberculosis and leprosy were connected. I do know that we're seeing higher cases of t- tuberculosis as we've allowed unfettered access to millions and millions of illegal immigrants from 
countries that uh, many of us can't find on a map. So, and then the monkeypox is a pox related, like smallpox, monkeypox, chickenpox, monkeypox. The COVID vaccine uh, can provoke a response from white blood cells or T cells. The cells are believed to protect against COVID-19. T-cells can theoretically trigger uh, mycobacterium leprae, a bacteria that causes leprosy, leading to leprosy or a leprosy reaction. Oh, great. Yeah, this is, this is what happens when you put... I'm, you know, look, I'm grateful at least somebody's mentioning it. This was happening two years ago. We, we would have saw, saw this at the very back page of the New York Times with a disclaimer. You know, or it, it would not get checked or it would get pulled off of Twitter or whatever. Uh, and so at least we're seeing this. Uh, Dr. Barbara DeBarros, the study's corresponding author, did not respond to a request for comment. The authors reported no funding or competing interests. Okay, before we take a break, I, I just have to play this. Be wrong for me not to share this wonderful clip it that I got from the Internet. I was so happy to hear that our vice president had finally made a run for the border. Check this out. <laughs> Hi, welcome to Taco Bell. What can I get you? <laughs> Hi. <laughs> Maybe you could help me order. <laughs> uh, Kamala Harris? Is that you? <laughs> yeah, it's me. <laughs> Kamala Harris. I came here to order... Taco Bell to be more authentic <laughs> since I haven't been to the border yet. <laughs> uh, okay. So what can I get you? What would you recommend would be the most Mexican thing I can order that would make me feel like I have been to the border? <laughs> I mean, the chalupa is always a good option. I'm going to order the chalupa with a, a Mexican accent, so it's more <laughs> authentico. <laughs> okay. Hello. Can I please have a chalupa? And um, give me some of those um, the cinnamon twist things, okay? <laughs> it's like a churro. <laughs> Michael Lee Mason joining me in just a moment. Speaking out, America. This kind of sounds like a song that Michael Lee Mason would write. I mean, I just have this image. He's a musician that served our country, couple tours overseas, playing for the soldiers, keeping their spirits high. Then he came back home and said, you know what? There's too much porn in my country, and i got to help stop this. So then he developed freefiltering.org which is a website that people like you and me can install on our Wi-Fi and protect kids or protect anybody in your, your family from unwanted uh, information from the Internet. And uh, Michael Lee Mason joins us. Michael uh, is our resident purveyor of, uh, of, of trying to make things better in America, really. And I thought I'd have him on and we'd talk about Barbie. I haven't seen the movie, but and I have no idea why anybody would go see a two-hour movie about dolls. But, hey, you know, it is what it is. And I just think it's funny because I think the media, Michael, is making this movie out to be like the biggest thing since, you know, the Ten Commandments. 
What's it about? I mean, why is it such a big deal that this movie is so... They're saying that this movie is saving the economy or something crazy like this. Like, but wait a minute. What about Sound of Freedom, a movie about you and drug tra- uh, uh, child trafficking? Is that movie not good now? I, I gotta Let's go... not talk about that, Jim. That's not happening. That's a conspiracy. <laughs> yeah. Um, so did you see the movie or did you do you know anything about I, the movie? I, I saw Sound of Freedom. A friend just gave me a rundown of the Barbie movie. Now, let's let's think about Barbie. What is Barbie? Barbie it's a is cultural a cultural icon, yeah. you know. Mm-hmm. It's it's a brand that's been around, I think, since the 1960s. Uh, it harkens back to the good old days in America when you had a mom and dad in the home. Yeah, you had a few a few kids and your little girls. You gave them dolls to play with. Well, apparently, in this new Barbie movie, they just want to throw that whole ideal of having a, a family with mom and dad at home and giving your little girls baby dolls to play with. They want to throw that all out um, because apparently this new Barbie movie introduces this idea that <clears throat> little girls shouldn't play with baby dolls anymore. Right. Uh, so apparently there's a scene uh, that shows girls like beating up their little baby dolls as if, you know, it's not a very girly thing to do to want to nurture a baby, to want to practice or model uh, the nurture of a newborn life. So, you know, it's kind of sketchy what they're trying to say even in, in that scene in the movie. But I think uh, from my understanding that the premise of this movie is that there are two concurrent alternate universes. There's the real world with real humans. And then there's this Barbie land that is running as a parallel universe at the same time. And what happens is the main Barbie character and her sidekick, Ken, get transported and magically uh, migrated over into the real world uh, with the real humans, uh, Ken starts to notice that in the real world, men actually do things. They build buildings. They run companies. They lift heavy things. Um, <laughs> you know, they're men. And he's like, wow, you know, like, I like the real world over here. Like, I like what men are about over here in the real world. They're not just sidekicks for the pretty ladies. Yeah. And, uh, and, and, and apparently the whole premise is that they, you know, get transported back to Barbie land and Ken tries to institute uh, what we might call the real world patriarchy over in the utopia. And, you know, uh-huh. well, that's all, a pretty good hell, description. I think. <laughs> really? OK. Um, so hmm. last night, ABC or maybe it was Inside Edition uh, had this segment on the movie and how young women were breaking up from their men's men uh after going wow. and see the barbie movie which is wow. you know kind of a weird side effect of a movie uh i think it's grooming i think it's just but it appeals to that to me it it it, it appeals to the snowflake the imma, the immature gen z or gen x that wants to live in that pretend world where nobody gets offended and they don't need men and girl power and all that which you know but I do think, again, my original point is that the more important movie that is out today would have been to talk about, to have a discussion about with our kids is Sound of Freedom, because that's the movie yeah. where one day your kid is there, one day your kid isn't. And there have been all kinds of reports out now about there was a, a few days ago, there was an international uh, pedophile ring that was broken up. It, it netted, I think, 19 people in uh, Cleveland and throughout the United States there were well over a dozen adults arrested that were part of this this international ring 
where they would go on the dark web and they would exchange photographs of young children in sexual positions with each other. And this is wow. real and it's going on. And it's, it, to me, it's one of several great, great examples of how we as, as a species can't handle freedom because yeah. we exploit people to our own pleasure. That's the yeah. movie we should be talking about. But Hollywood wants to talk about Barbie and Ken and how successful that movie is. And boy, we hope there are more movies about that and maybe less movies with Jim Caviezel in it because he makes us feel guilty about ourselves. Yeah. Well, yeah, he believes in that whole concept of sin and there being evil and, and good in the world. You, you, you said one thing that this uh, movie, Sound of Freedom, um, you know, is talking about something serious like the disappearance of kids. And it made me think, you know, maybe both movies are talking about the, the disappearance of kids uh, in a different sense. Uh, you know, in The Sound of Freedom, we're learning about kids being uh, exploited, basically kidnapped, uh, abused, put on drugs so that they turn out sexual favors for money all day long. Um, in, in the Barbie movie, but we also have kids disappearing, right? Because the film is, is really about exploiting children to get them to buy into the ideas that there is no value in any of the intrinsic uh, traits of masculinity or femininity that God puts in us as male or female, right? I, I think I would probably agree that how we express our masculinity or femininity perhaps is a little bit fluid, right? Like it's, I don't know that it's necessarily appropriate to tell every little boy that they have to grow up being great at sports or like knocking things down or tackling other people. Not every boy is going to be like that. Not every girl is uh, going to like getting dressed up in pretty dresses. Maybe she just likes to go fishing with her brothers. And uh, you know, maybe she just likes what we would say are, quote, boyish things. That is okay. It's okay that when I grew up, um, I wasn't very athletic and I played the piano, you know. But some people could have looked at me and told me, well, you know, Maybe you're gay, or maybe maybe you're trans because you don't you don't fit these X Y Z criteria for being a boy. Um, but I, my point is, what if both movies are about the disappearance of children? In the in the Barbie movie, what if the real agenda is getting your little boy so confused, your little girl so confused that they do not know uh, what it means? Um, to, to be male or female. Um, where does this trans ideology come from? Well, the only way trans ideology is ultimately succeeding is because for decades uh, we've been devaluing masculinity. We've been devaluing femininity, uh, you know, expressing mm -hmm. those traits that God kind of intrinsically puts in us uh, as male or female. Um, yeah. And at the end of the day, parents are waking up finding that either their kids have disappeared because, you know, the, the, yeah. they're ex being exploited sexually through trafficking, or they find out their 15-year-old girl um, is all of a sudden cutting her hair off and saying she's a boy. So kids are disappearing in both scenarios. Um, yeah. It's interesting. Yeah, it is interesting. And unfortunately, uh, there's too many people that are making a lot of money on this. And the naive ones among us don't understand that the power of big pharma behind all of this 
It is glorified uh, plastic surgery for many of these yep. doctors. They have no moral. They're they're completely indifferent to the moral implications of genital mutilation. Yep. And and I guarantee you that this is going to make us look like a horrible, horrible nation, just as slavery made us look like a horrible, horrible nation. Our our ancestors, when they look back at what our big pharma and this, I, I believe in the power of shame. I think shame is the greatest deterrent Amen. to to immoral character that has ever existed because everybody has a sense of moral ignan, uh, uh, indignation. Yeah, a moral person would not be troubled by immorality, and we all have morality wired into us. And you and I know why; we know where it comes yep. from. Uh, yep. You know, and I am ashamed. I, I have a doctor that I see here in my town for just occasional checkups. I found out today that he is a major, major clinic for homo, homo, hormone therapy. I'm canceling his ass. Wow. I'm not going to wow. go see him anymore. And I have, and I know he's an advertiser in this town. And I may just pick up the phone and call him and say, Dr. Blank, what you're doing is morally reprehensible, and you need to stop yep. it. And when you yep. see a doctor in your neighborhood or you know there's a children's clinic in your neighborhood and you've got nurses and practitioners and nurses' aides and doctors who are all sitting there feeding into this transgender uh, frenzy, you need to pick up the phone and you need to call them and say, I am ashamed of you. And yep. get it through these people's heads. They need to stop this. And... Let me just remind people that Michael Lee Mason has set up freefiltering.org, which is a, a very integral piece of software that can be run without charge, or you can go for the higher tiered, more intricate levels, but it's all designed to keep porn and filth out of your home. And freefiltering.org is all you need to know. Uh, Michael, we're going to have you back on again, and we're going to talk a lot about this kind of stuff because it is pertinent to this program. So I just want to thank you for what you do. Well, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on, Jim. And we sure appreciate it. That's going to do it for this uh, the set of the program. We'll talk to you next time. Don't forget, join us online at speakingoutamerica.com. Also, thanks to our many great affiliates, including uh, The Vigilante in Hardin, also KIKO in wonderful Mesa, Arizona, and our latest affiliate in Victorville, Talk 960. 